Welcome to this new Ed Voices podcast by Education International, the Global Union Federation that brings together education unions from all over the world. Through its member organizations, Education International represents teachers and education support personnel from early childhood to higher education. This is the second episode of a podcast series entitled Teasing the Tech. Our guest speaker, Neil Selwyn, is a professor at the Faculty of Education in Monash University in Australia and a leading international researcher in the area of digital education. Martin Henry, research coordinator at Education International, will be the host for this series. As technological for-profit giants, such as Google or Microsoft, are playing a major role in education, the transformation of the state and the public sector in the current context makes it important to give attention to changes in labor relations. This will be the focus of today's episode. Over to you, Martin. Yeah, thanks, Ma. So it's great to have you back, Neil. We had a really um, thorough chat about democratic accountability and education governance. And, and we're really pleased to have you back here today to talk about labor relations, which is another favorite subject of ours, because we know that without the union context, we can't make the difference that we need in the area of tech. And it's been great working with people like Christina and yourself and making sure that our members are aware of the ways that they can make a difference to the technology around them. So to kick off, I'd just like to know if technology and education is a work issue, what aspects of tech are most problematic for teachers' work? In particular, what should our unions be keeping their eyes on as a, as a most important issue? Uh, thanks, Martin. It's nice. Great to be back. And I'm sure all of your listeners will be more than aware of what the most problematic bits of tech are because they live it on a day-to-day -day basis. But it's actually really difficult. It's really easy to kind of forget about these problematic issues and just make it part of the normal kind of hassle of everyday working life. But if you think about it, tech amplifies a lot of problems, I think, in in in, in teaching as, as a work issue. So, I mean, the most obvious one is the intensification of teachers work, you know, the, the, the busy work, the duplication of effort, having to do three things on three different systems, as well as doing it on paper, just to make sure you've got a proper record. When we do research in schools, teachers tell us all the time that they've developed workarounds, but these workarounds often involve doing more work. So that's one thing I think you just need to be really mindful of. So you've got intensification of work. You've also got extension of teacher work as well the way that digital work bleeds into the evenings and the early mornings and the weekends and the holiday time. You know, you can make a really concerted effort to turn your phone off or not bring your phone on holiday. But if your email's on your phone, you're contactable. So, I mean, that, that's a big issue, and I'm sure everyone experiences that. And again, it just becomes part of the new normal. We talked to a lot of teachers that said, Sunday night, I go through all my emails because otherwise I can't start work on Monday. And you say to them, but you are working on Sunday night if that's what you're doing. But somehow emails are not work, but yet they are. So, I mean, those are two things. The thing I'm really interested in as well is surveillance these technologies lend themselves to monitor, monitoring and you know tracking and measuring and surveilling often for very kind of benign reasons but those logics then kind of follow on in the way that we use the technology so this idea of soft surveillance i think 
everything you do online is tracked. Everything you do online is is uh, doesn't just disappear into the ether. Data valence is something that I'm really, really interested in. The data that's generated by your technology use can then be used to profile you or to see what you're doing. So again, surveillance and then surveillance creeps into the way we then use these technologies as teachers. And, um, colleagues of mine have coined the phrase surveillance pedagogy, that the way you teach with these technologies, it's very easy for you to, we talked in the previous podcast about looking at your students doing their homework live on the learning management system. That is surveillance pedagogy. Um, I think talking about, I'm, I'm really interested in AI and automated decision-making in classrooms. There's a bunch of stuff now in classrooms where decisions are being made that used to be the, the preserve of the teacher, but now the technology is doing them. And they can be very, very small level things, you know, is a student working or not? Is a student present in the class, et cetera, et cetera. Who's accountable for those decisions? The teacher has not made the decision. The system's made the decision. Who's accountable if anything goes wrong? And, and that's a really gray area. So I think that's a work issue that's really, really interesting. If you're working in a, in a classroom where decisions are being made by technology, are you responsible? If you're not responsible, who is? How are they explainable? Could you, you know, oh, there's all sorts of issues there. And talking at the, <laughs> from the union point of view, the thing that really gets me at the moment, we're talking at February. Um, so the British university unions are still striking. How technology is being used for strike breaking, I think, is really, really interesting and also worrying. Um, so I think last year, some universities were looking to try and use old videos of lectures and teaching that had taken place to break the strike. You know, we'll just use your lecture from the year before. And, um, you know, using some London universities were outsourcing their grading to Australian companies and Australian graders. So students were getting their work marked, but it was being done online. So the way that that uh, tech was being used to kind of strike break, I think, was really, really worrying. If you're being paranoid and you look at other sectors, you can see how, you know, companies like Amazon use tech to, to kind of union bust, you know, identifying patterns of active union organization and, and using that to be completely anti-union. So that's an issue. So I think if digital technology is a work issue, digital technology is a union issue. And there are things you can do. I mean, at a very basic level, you know, we've had kind of unions in, in Australia push for calm email policies or, you know, having it written into school policies that no emails can be sent or, received after five o'clock but i mean you then start talking about these policies and some teachers arc up and say hang on a minute that doesn't work for me i have to pick my own kids up and do lots of work and actually seven o'clock is a really good time for me to be doing email so it's actually really complicated because tech does individualize us but you know we can push for certain things you know the, the idea that all automated systems have a recognized and designated owner of decisions can be done i think unions and even local local branches can lobby to be involved in the procurement of the tech technologies if a school buys a new learning management system that's a massive change to the working conditions so i think teachers should be involved in in those sorts of decisions teachers should also have a, a they should be doing due diligence for example on the technology in terms of you know data so there are things we can do at a small scale level um, but there are these other bigger things, surveillance and extension of work, which are not necessarily unique to education. These are problems across the board when workers use technology. But we doesn't mean to say we shouldn't be paying attention to them in schools and universities. I think you've raised some really important issues there, Neil. And certainly the right to disconnect is a campaign that we're engaged in one way or the other. Um, our union in Argentina was quite successful at negotiating some regulations and some 
legislation that gave them some rights in that area. We know the French government has moved legislation around public workers, which also covers teachers. And, and I completely agree that you've got different people with different needs, but there should be the ability to say no at some point. And it was the Australians who told us that they had parents chasing them at three in the morning in the middle of the pandemic. So in terms of those um, requirements and needs and how people respond to the whole tech area, I think you're right to see it as an accelerant. Um, surveillance is something we're interested in. And I always go back to Jeremy Bentham and coming from Manchester, Strange Ways Prison springs to mind. And every time I get a Microsoft product in my inbox first thing in the morning telling me how many minutes I've been speaking to you for and how many emails I've sent to Mark, you know, it is, it is problematic that all this data is available and, and slap around our chops all the time. I do think that we can do a lot more in this area. And we do believe that our unions are um, in in a position where they would like to work with each other more strongly on being able to have strong responses to tech. So I um, appreciate all of that. One of the key logics of tech is outsourcing. What other forms of labor is tech bringing into education? And you've already talked about some of these. You've talked about the, um, the ways in which AI is being used. I mean, the AI principles that OECD have produced, for example, talk about a human in the picture. How often do we not have a human in the picture? Well, it, it seems that there, there are many options um, where that is not the case. So what are the other things? In what ways is, is this outsourcing game that you've referred to the Australian markers, et cetera, um, operating? And I know that we have that discussion that actually removing marking from teachers. As an English teacher, if I wasn't marking my students' essay and giving them individual and personalized feedback, they'd be absolutely horrified. Um, it's not the same if you're doing a maths piece of work. So what do we do in terms of the relational glue around these issues as well? Well, no, that's a really interesting example because a lot of these things which are being, you know, tech is always talked as a way of freeing up teachers from the drudge work and you know, the dull and dirty work that no one wants to do. And it uh, frees you up to concentrate on the higher order pedic and the rest of it. You talked, I mean, your listeners will know this, but a lot of these things which are being outsourced or automated are really important part of, you know, as you say, the social relations of the school. We were looking at some tech that automated taking the, the school register the roll call, as it's called in Australia. And the idea is that the kids just come in the room, facial recognition, clocks who they are, bingo, there's your register done. And it's they reckoned it saved two and a half hours of teacher time a week. So no school administrator is going to pass up that opportunity to save two and a half hours of labour. You talk to the teachers and they would say, actually, taking the school roll is one of the most important parts of the day. You get to know the kids, you get to talk to them, and you get to just gauge very quickly the temperature of the room and how a kid's tracking, and you can have a moment. Of, and it's really important. We do not want that automated. We don't want our marking automated. Our marking is a real pedagogical. So that's a really important thing, I think, to, to kind of think about in terms of not just can it be outsourced, but should it be outsourced? Um, and again, that's a really good discussion. But I mean, as you said, I mean, there's plenty of education-related gig work going on. And there's so much, and, and the logics of big tech, I talked about that in the last interview, are about unbundling, outsourcing, taskification, they call it, taking it, spitting everything up into minute tasks that can then be kind of um, outsourced to other people. So there's exam marking. The pandemic saw this rise of online exam proctoring. So kids could take exams in the comfort of their own bedrooms on their laptops. 
but there was often a live proctor behind the camera monitoring the kid and making sure who they were. And often they were outsourced to low paid um, workers in the global South. Philippines is a big market for this. So that's problematic. (laughs) And there's also, I mean, and here's possibly a more positive use, beaming teachers in often for specialist or shortest subjects. So in Australia, you have to teach an Asian language. If you haven't got a Vietnamese teacher in a rural school, you can beam in a Vietnamese teacher for an hour a week, which is great. And then you think about the logics of that. (laughs) Yeah, we can then beam teachers in for 10 hours a day. So I mean, there's all that stuff going on. The other gig work which interested me in COVID was the shadow education. So you've got the after-school tutor companies and they're getting bigger and bigger and more automated as well. But you've also got those logics extending to homeschooling. So, I mean, there was a company, um, Prenda, uh, in the US that was pushing this idea of micro schools. So in the pandemic, lots of middle-class families hired a tutor and quasi-illegally got them to tutor their kids every day in, in a kitchen. That logic has now gone big in terms of, you know, this company which is setting up schools um with learning guides in in a, in a parent's house and having a kind of small school using a lot of online tech, basically kind of walking the kids through online learning platforms um, and uh, complete alternate schools. So you've got this kind of disruption um, of education through, through this kind of gig work, all very low paid, not, not kind of fully qualified teachers. Um, yeah. You can see where we're going with this. So there's that. I'm also really interested about how you talked about, what labor is technology bringing into schools technology is also allowing labor to escape from schools or to take place outside schools so you know teachers can have gig workers as these tutors and these markers we talked in the previous interview about teachers pay teachers the idea that teachers can make a bit of money on the side by selling their resources to other teachers on a platform it's you know we're living in a kind of a world where most people have a a hustle or a second gig um even things like Instagram influencers, you've got these teachers now who are you know, half the time is being spent working on Instagram, promoting the brand, being an influencer, you know, giving advice, getting getting kind of thousands and thousands of, of uh, viewers, gaining some kind of notoriety, doing keynote speeches, writing books. And in a way, good on them. They, you know, they're kind of, you know, but on the other hand, again, it's commodifying something which is perhaps shouldn't be commodified. So tech taking teachers labor outside is really interesting. There's also labor being brought in by students as well, particularly in university. There are services where you can get at hire people to do your um, online learning for you. Discussion boards and forums and participating in online classes is a hassle. You can hire people to do that for you. And again, these tend to be gig workers in kind of global South countries, not working for particularly lots and lots of money. Um, There's a whole bunch of stuff um, that tech is kind of doing in terms of bringing other labor into education. And then the AI example is really interesting as well. AI is based on living labor. These things are not automated. There are people behind the scenes doing lots and lots of work, content moderators, people who step in when the chatbot can't answer a question, shadow labor. And again, it's low paid and it's low. So chat GT, GTP was using Kenyan um, content moderators being paid between a dollar and $2 an hour to filter out all the inappropriate content from the training data to detoxify. And you can imagine the trauma of that work uh, it's really interesting when you kind of raise this because people say, well, that's twice the living wage in Kenya. These people are being paid really well by Kenyan standards. You know, it's not necessarily in a way, perhaps. But I mean, the, the concern I have is all this precarious labor and these are education workers 
they're not unionized they're not part they haven't got the protection so and it weakens the value of the labor that's currently provided by a teacher so there's big issues here in a way you can argue that you know we can maybe unionize these workers and bring them into the fold on the other hand um i think that's that's possibly a bit naive. so there's a whole bunch of other people now involved in schools involved in education who are teachers in scare quotes or you know doing teacher work but for far 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 less money far 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 more precarious um, conditions and you know, it's devaluing public education i think thanks neil i have to say that whenever the issue of the platform worker comes up at the ilo the employers are particularly concerned i do think this is an area where we have to get better coverage and and there's been quite a lot of work done to get gig workers into a better position but we haven't done it in education not yet and, and it's high time that we did get into this area. Um, you've done some good work there positioning what's going on in high schools. And we have talked in the last series about primary schools. In the main, predominantly in the K-12 school sector, teachers have traditionally been employed by public authorities. However, as we just said, with the entry of global corporate actors, the employment practices and contractual conditions applied to education workers have changed. The emergence of transnational, publicly accountable, anti-union employers of education workers requires careful consideration. How do you think education unions could best approach organizing in, the, in this new space, noting the inevitable downward pressure that will be exerted on terms and conditions of employment? So we're asking you to help us think through some of the problems we've got here and sticking together these workers and unions which aren't necessarily oriented that way. And we not all of our unions cover ESP, but a large number of them do. And, and these workers would certainly fit within those educational support personnel areas. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've got random thoughts on this. I've never set up a union. Um, I'm sure everyone listening has got far more experience about this than me. And so, as you say, if you're dealing with ESP anyway, just do what you do, but do it with tech workers. So don't listen to me for my advice. There's just some, I don't random thoughts. It's interesting you talked about um, unionizing precarious gig workers. These firms are so tricky to work with. You know, Uber will not admit that they're a taxi company. They're just a kind of software company. But you've seen the unionization of Uber workers, for example, in different companies. You've seen unions set up for YouTubers, for example. So this stuff is happening. And again, as you say, translating those sorts of innovations into the education space is certainly worth doing. But the big tech firms are really, really difficult to organize within as well. And we've seen that with recent bust ups with Amazon and Google, you know, the deunionization. So I think it's really, there's some, probably are tricks to be learned from the union organization and labor organization, which is taking place and is managing to take place within the tech sector um, because it's very, very tricky. But people are kind of working this out for themselves. A couple of things, I mean, just come to mind whenever I talk to people working for tech, ed, ed tech firms, Ed tech firms employ a lot of teachers. There's a lot of ex-teachers that are working for these firms, many of whom I guess would have been union members when they were teachers. And I'm wondering if there's a connection there that you've got some allies within um, the ed tech industry who could be either kept on in the union or perhaps brought back into the union as ex-teachers working in ed tech companies. Because there was a, there was a really interesting um, article I was reading about how Perhaps we can work with big tech by working through um, big tech workers. But a lot of workers for these firms, they're not idiots. And, you know, they're all very progressively minded. Um, they're actually quite aware of um, 
how their firms are operating and don't feel good. And you look at like the 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 kind of tech worker resistance to things like Black Lives Matter, for example, big pushback from within Amazon and, and Google, big pushback in, indeed about these companies working with the Pentagon you know, in terms of war, war, war technology. So I think working with tech workers rather than working with the firms might also be an interesting, interesting way around. And the other thing to think about is that ed tech firms are actually employing a lot of new people in educational roles so the idea of the learning designer for example is a big thing instructional designers learning engineers even and in higher education we've got a lot of kind of quasi teacher roles that are based around tech you know that, that but fundamentally they're, they're key education workers so again you know if teaching unions can expand their remit and see these people as education workers and bring them into the fold that's probably an interesting way as well of, of making a difference but also kind of expanding your reach um, so yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of things that, that I guess are possible. Um, but again, I, I I'll come back to the first point. This problem is coming up in health. It's coming up in all sorts of different sectors. So I mean, again, education unions getting into unions in other areas of the public sector, working out together because it's not just an education problem. No, that's for sure. And I have to point out to the listeners that the amount of money being spent on R and D in health far outstrips that in education. So in terms of government investment, that there is a big difference. And, and we do want to see that there is an R&D track which pins this work to the government sector. At the moment, that's sorely lacking. The transformation of the state and the public sector in the current context makes it important to also focus on changes in labor relations. Beyond the loss of tenure, precariousness, the rapid inc increase of, um, of that precarious employment area has been a real concern to us and our members. The employment relationship has been changing remarkably. Again, well, a lot of the evidence we have comes from the higher ed sector, but it's not only in higher ed, as you pointed out. We've got a number of these examples in secondary and primary schools, particularly around that tutoring area, but I think the proliferation here is absolutely huge. With teachers potentially hired on a contract basis by third-party labour hire companies or as self-employed parties, as currently witnessed in the ever-expanding gig economy, what impact does this have on teachers? And we know from our evidence in the Status of Teachers survey that the number of precarious contracts being given out to teachers has grown massively. And I've seen it during my career that people used to be employed onto permanent contracts from the first year of teaching. Now we've got people on these long-term relieving contracts, and, and this is proliferating across all the work in the education sector. You've talked already, Neil, about the sort of things we need to do. I mean, there's got to be a grassroots up as well as a top-down approach here, clearly. Um, you know, what are the conditions which are, are rife? It's made a difference to cycle couriers, there's no reason education isn't next. Yeah, I was thinking about cycle couriers last week because I had a friend who did his PhD on cycle couriers. And now you see these guys whizzing around on electric bikes and the whole thing's changed. And then you see these sidewalk robots or, you know, remote control things that have been controlled from thousands of miles away delivering things and how quickly this gig work can be kind of just expunged. And there is a not a conspiracy theory at all, but there is a, uh, lots of these firms. Their ultimate aim is not to be you know, Uber is not aiming to be the biggest kind of gig work taxi firm. It's generating data about cities and the best routes to drive around cities and pick people up so that it can then inform autonomous vehicles. So 
gig work, I think, is possibly a, a kind of phase for 20, 30 years. And we do seriously have to imagine the fully automated taxi, possibly the fully automated classroom um, as a way of this. And the gig workers are just so I mean, that's that's kind of a sidebar conversation. But um, yeah, cycle couriering certainly changed. I, I mean, I, for this, I can really just speak from my own experience in higher education. And as you said, casualization, um, you know, contract work is, is just a real problem here. Short-term casualized labor, people juggling three different jobs, working in three different universities, for example, three different online systems um, is really, really um, an issue in, in higher education. It's not really a tech issue, is it? And it's not really unique to education. You know, casualization of labor and contract work and the rest of it, those logics are coming up in all sorts of industries. But it's certainly, I think, that tech amplifies. I don't think tech causes it, but it certainly amplifies it and facilitates it as well. Uh, and again, I mean, I've talked I've talked to colleagues about this. Now I'm a more senior academic. And for some of them, they seem to think it works for them. You know, it's quite good to have two different jobs because I can just zone out and do this, do that. And, you know, tech, tech does make it easier. I can sit and tutor from home. And the, there are conveniences but from a bigger picture perspective, those conveniences also do lead to a kind of devaluing, I think, of 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 what universities are and what a university career should be. So that worries me. And so for those folk, you know, the people that I work with, the key, one of the key issues is maintaining boundaries. You're juggling three different sets of students and administrators and systems. You're working in different time zones. Maintaining those boundaries online is really difficult when you've got one job. I talked um, earlier about extension and intensification of, of work. When you're juggling three jobs, it can become unbearable. Um, so, I mean, there's that. Um, if you've got three sets of parents emailing you at three o'clock in the morning and, and one of them is in Northern Europe and one of them's in Australia, that's a problem. I mean, there are issues like, I mean, who owns your, your IP, your intellectual property? Um, if you are teaching online and producing resources, is it yours? And we've seen people's online courses being repackaged and reused the year later. You know, you could be hired for a year, do a whole bunch of course development and then get sacked and your videos and your your IPs then used the year after. So those sorts of issues I think people need to be aware of and unions can play a role in kind of alerting people to these risks and working out how you can protect yourself against it. Um, if you're aware of it, you can make sure that your lectures are not reusable. <laughs> they can only be used once, but yeah, you, you have to put more work and effort into doing that. So, I mean, there are all those things I see people doing and struggling with. What I think is interesting with technology is that the reason I'm aware of this is because I'm on things like Twitter and there are a lot of casualized workers talking about this on Twitter and people might me are thinking, oh, I, I'm not aware, I wasn't aware of that. So I think people actually talking out loud about these things and not necessarily organizing online in a formal way, but even just kind of forming communities of support, talking about it in public, raising these issues, pushing back. Um, I think digital technologies can be really useful for that. So these are, in a way, that's a positive to end on. Um, you know, technology has am has amplified these issues, my awareness of these issues as well. So yeah, it, it's really, really tricky. It's not caused by technology, but technology certainly makes it worse. So in some ways we need to sort out everything that's rotten about higher education, which isn't, and that's the other thing. We've talked a lot about these issues and I can get really het up about them because it's my main focus of interest. There are 101 other things in education that are wrong and need addressing and that people are worried about. It's not the tech. So I get it. There's lots of other stuff that could be sorted. Tech is just a minor thing. But tech actually is a place where a lot of these bigger problems come home to roost. So if we can sort them out in the tech space, we can sort them out elsewhere. But I, I do understand there are probably more important things 
<laughs> making sure the platform has a proper data setting and the rest of it. The public square and the um, gig worker have been issues that have been very high on the news agenda recently. So I think you raised some really important issues. And, and you've also led me to my personal question perfectly here, Neil, because I, I'm going to ask you this time, and this is just so we get to know a little bit more about how you shape the world. What do you think is the most protective physical activity that a person can do when it comes to tech? So what can you do outside of your time on tech that protects you against it? Oh, I was going to talk about the little plaster that I have on the webcam. Uh, that's how I protect myself. And when um, Zuckerberg came up against one of the select committees, everybody focused in on the fact that he had a little bit of plaster on his webcam as well. And what the hell, if he knows. Uh, <laughs> I go running. I like running. I think going outside and just you know, walking or running or going on a bike is a really good thing because it kind of takes you out of yourself. Um, I don't, I have a phone, but I've, I turn everything to black and white. Um, so I've got it. There's accessibility settings. If you're colorblind, you can have the screens black and white and that's super good. Um, and I haven't got it to hand actually, but my mobile phone is covered in just gaffer tape and all sorts of rubbish to, just to make it a really nasty object. So I just don't carry it around cause it's just horrible. So yeah, it kind of, um, yeah, scuffing up and, and kind of messing around with technology in that way. But yeah, no, you you know, getting out of the house, going for a run, going for a walk, playing with your kids. There's all sorts of stuff we can do that makes life nicer. I'm a runner too, Neil. So I'll have to get the sticky tape out now, see if it's going to work <laughs> on the phone. So thanks yeah, for yeah, that. Yeah, um, we'll be back soon to um, do series three. So thank you for that thinking about the labor movement. You really are giving us some food for thought in this series. And we are still teasing the tech. And, and we will continue into the next episode, which will be about quality teaching and learning. Thanks, Ma. Thank you, Martin. Thank you, Neil. Looking forward to the next episode of this EdTech series, Teasing the Tech. Stay tuned. And to get the latest global education news and advocacy, subscribe to Ed Voices on your favorite podcast app or anytime on SoundCloud.